Uh, certainly is a um, privilege to be back with you at Brentwood Hills. Sure hated that Carol and Graham weren't, weren't able to go. They stick early in the week, and uh, they're in the recovery period, which sometimes lasts longer than the period of being sick. And felt like that the, the trip and everything might might cause them to relapse and certainly didn't want that. But they send their love and uh, look forward to the next time that we're able to be here. Um, I do make an interest in your prayers this morning. I uh, woke up with like four things on my mind. Um, and the one I'm settled on uh, seems like I can't do it justice no matter how much time I have. Um, so you pray. Uh, I want to set two verses out at the onset. Uh, if the Lord will, we'll come back to those uh, towards the end. But I, I want these two verses to be in your mind, in your minds um, while we go through. I'll probably read a little bit more than I usually do. And uh, so I uh, ask for your patience in that. Hebrews chapter 9, about verse 15, it says, Speaking of Christ, neither by the blood of bulls and goats, um, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So that's verse number 1. Verse number 2 is, Isaiah 53, actually it's two verses. Isaiah 53 in verse 10, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he hath put him to grieve. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his day, uh, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Verse 11 says, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. All right? So Hebrews 9 and 15, uh, Isaiah 53, 10, and 11. So let's set those out here, and if the Lord would bless, we will come back to those uh, as we present our subject. Uh, I'll... I would like to go first to the 26th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. Um, Matthew chapter 26, in verse 36, uh, Matthew accounts of the Lord's prayer in Gethsemane. Then he says, um, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he, uh, saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And then he went a little further um, by himself, obviously, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he came unto his disciples, and he findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I like to use that as an excuse, right? The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I like to use that on a Saturday afternoon service as my excuse for uh, really struggling sometimes to keep my eyes open. That's not an excuse. As a statement of fact that the Lord Jesus Christ reminds his disciples of. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's an interesting statement considering the situation that we're under. He then went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, 
Thy will be done. And then he goes, it says he found the disciples asleep again. Then he goes and prays a third time. No account of the third time in Matthew. Then he comes back, and I love how he says, well, sleep on. Sleep on now and take your rest. The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. All right, so that's Matthew's account of the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. We get two, we get, we get insight into two of the prayers, two of the three. My Father, uh, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thy will. The second one says, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. All right. Uh, let's, 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 we'll come back to, to Matthew, but let's go ahead and get Mark's account. Uh, Mark chapter 14. <coughs> Very similar language. Uh, I'll skip the, the first part. He does, he, he does account for his exceeding sorrowful soul, even unto death. Verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou will. Uh, then he comes and he finds him asleep. Then he goes and he prays. And, and Mark accounts in verse 39, he spake the same words. So he prayed this prayer three times, this same prayer. The two accounts in Matthew, the account in Mark, same prayer every time. And while there is a slight difference in the wording that's accounted for, you'll find that the wording all matches up, that the Gospels reconcile themselves with each other with a prayer that Jesus Christ prayed, the content of the prayer, the reason behind the prayer, and exactly and precisely what that prayer was for. All right? So there's no doubt in our minds about what's happening here. Now, before we go to Luke, go over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, and I'll not turn there for time's sake, but 1 John chapter 1, the Apostle John presents something that to us might seem, you know, a, a one of those, well, that's obvious, John. But think about what he's saying, and then think about the entirety of the, the first book of John and what he's focused on. Uh, he says that anything that in chapter 2, I'll put it in my words, anything that goes against the deity and the incarnation of Christ Jesus is antichrist. It, it's against that. And he really stresses that. Read chapter 5 of 1 John. You'll see how he amplifies the condescension of Christ. This is he that came by water, not by water only, but by water and blood. So he says this is the, the manifestation of God in the flesh, as Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. At the beginning of this chapter, he says this, and you go read it. He says, that which we have heard, that heard, ears, that which we have seen, eyes, that which we have handled, touch of the word of life. So he says, this man, Christ Jesus, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. He was real. He was real. He was not some ghost. He was not some spiritual being. He was flesh and blood. He came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it's the spirit that bears witness of that, he says. The spirit in here and the spirit in heaven. He says, um, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you might have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. So he says, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him, he was real. This was God manifest in the flesh. And we had a fellowship with him in, in while he was in this world. 
But now we have an even better fellowship with him now that he is sitting on his throne in heaven in a mold of glory. And it's not just a fellowship for the apostles. It's a fellowship for every child of grace who stands not against Christ, but with Christ, understanding that he was incarnate. In other words, he, would, he was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, this truth of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, being made flesh is sometimes hard to, at least for me, sometimes it's hard to wrap my head around that. Because you've heard ministers say that he was all God and he was all man, and that's all truth. <laughs> all right? I'm not all spiritual. My, when I'm born again, my flesh in its content does not change. My soul does. That which is within me is cleansed by the blood of Christ and be becomes the abode of the very spirit of God. And it has now become a fit vessel from heaven. There's nothing else that needs to happen to my soul such that when I pass from this life, it will enter into heaven as it is because the work of Christ has already been applied. But my body will go where? To the grave. Job says it's going to return to the dust from whence it came until the morning of the resurrection when he'll raise our vile bodies, and Paul says, and fashion them like unto his glorious body. There's still a change left for the body. So I can't say that I, that I am all the spiritual man. I wish I could. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I didn't have evil thoughts. I wish I didn't commit sins with my hands and my, my flesh. But I do. But when we see Jesus Christ, he wasn't 50% God and 50% man. He was all man and he was all God. Paul puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 10, offerings and burnt offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. <laughs> he took the eternal son and prepared him a body. I mean, even, even Gabriel told Mary and her confusion, how can this be, seeing I have known no man? And it says, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Wherefore also that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I mean, there's no dividing Jesus Christ. He was all God, and yet he was all man. And he lived in this low ground of sin and sorrow with one major factor outwardly different from every mortal man. What was that? He could not sin. He had no relationship with sin. He didn't battle sin in his flesh while he lived in his life here. It was never a concept even that Jesus Christ could commit sin. It's, that's called being impeccable. In other words, he had no error about him. And I submit to you that if Jesus Christ, the man, had error about him, we wouldn't be here today. Would not be taking place. So he prays, Father, and I'll, I'll, I'll probably repeat this, the prayer from Matthew the most until we get to Luke, the big one. Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Father, if this cup should not pass from me, except I drink it. Now, let me set right out here on the, at the outset. I do not believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was asking for another way. And I, and I base that on John chapter 12. When he says, for this, this hour came I into the world. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this is the reason I came. It's like I'm not praying. I'm not praying to God. You need to save me from this hour. Let's get up, put our heads together, and figure out another way. That is not. He said, I, "This is the reason I came into this world." He goes, "And I'm, am I going to pray God to save me from this hour? No. But for this cause came I into the world. So there's there's no concept again, uh, not even a concept again of Jesus Christ saying, "If man, if there's some other way, now, that'd be my prayer, right?" That'd be my prayer. You know, if there's some other, let's figure out a different way to do this. I don't think I want to go through with this. That's my prayer. You know why? Because I'm a sinner. 
But that's not the Lord's Prayer. That's not the Lord's Prayer. Remember our introductory text. Not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Something was about to happen to this impeccable man called Jesus Christ. Something was about to take place. He says, let this cup pass. And then he says, if this cup would not pass unless I drink it, thy will not mine be done. Now bear with me here real quick. This is going to sound really strange coming from the pulpit. But I'll blame John James Strong's for this one, all right? I like, I like Mounts. Edward Mounts, I think. He's a great Bible. He, he, he really defines the words of the Bible. But this one, I like Strong's the best. You know what the word, except I drink, you know what that word drink is? Hang on. It's to imbibe. Now, what do you think of? What came to your mind when I said imbibe? I know what came to your mind. Same thing came to my mind. We're talking about drinking, and we're not talking about water, right? Or have you had somebody ever say, do you imbibe? I mean, that's just the polite way of saying, do you drink? I mean, that's what the cup by mounts is defined as the, the filling of liquor. You think, Brother Mark, that, oh, I don't, I, you're making me uncomfortable. I was a little bit uncomfortable when I read that. But it's not the literal contents that we're concerned about, but it's the comparison factor of what the gospel writers get to with regard to the cup. The cup is that which is filled not with refreshing water, but I submit to you with the worst fermentation that you can ever begin to imagine. And imbibe, as much as we like to think, well, you know, oh, I, you know, I have a little wine. You know, Paul said, don't drink water, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. You know, to imbibe isn't some isn't really a polite way of asking do you drink. To imbibe means to drink it all. It means to drink it all. You know, in Isaiah 63, it says he was drunk with fury. Drunk with fury. All right, let's go to Luke. Sometimes I think y'all have an extra gear in your clock <laughs> that makes it move a lot faster. You bear with me. I know I'm, I'm going to a lot of places. I've got thrown a lot of thoughts out there. Lord bless to bring these all together in one. <clears throat> Luke chapter 22. It says in verse 39, He came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, Gethsemane, he said, said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. we got one prayer here in Luke, just like Mark. But we've got some extra details that Luke adds. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, Father, if I be willing, remove this cup. So remove... Let this cup pass. This cup should not pass for me except I drink. Pass, remove. You know what that means? It means to pass on by. All right? That's what that means. So when you see the word uh, remove this cup from me, <laughs> he's saying let it pass on by. And that's not taking a detour to go around him. He's saying let this cup pass by me. All right? And let the fulfillment of that cup, the contents of it, be consumed to the extent that I satisfy the reason I came into this world in the condition that I'm in. Now, he was all God and all man. Some, like I said, sometimes that's hard to reconcile. You know, he, he was, he, at times he was hungry. You think, how can the Son of God be hungry? Son of God can't be hungry. Son of man can. He was hungry. He grew weary. There, were, there was a couple of times in scriptures where he and his disciples went away off by themselves because he was so tired. 
from the work that he was doing. And he went and he rested. That's the Son of Man, all right? So now, here he is praying. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So you see, in all accounts, really, really similar, right? It's dealing with the cup. It's dealing with removal of the cup. And it's dealing with uh, drinking of the cup, all right? Now, let's read on. Verse 43. I'm glad Luke wrote this. Because this tells me, and it told the Lord, that his prayer had been answered. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. The Father sent the answer to the Son of Man. He answered his prayer. I submit to you that in our darkest times, which weren't near as dark as what the Lord was going through, but in our darkest time, I believe God sends sometimes angels to strengthen us. Because our angels are before the face of God always. There's no better answer to prayer than to feel the presence of the Savior with you. And angels minister that to his little children. Just like he ministered to his son. It's almost, bear with me in my folly, as Paul would say, it's almost God saying, it's all right. Everything's going to proceed just like I have purposed it. And he strengthened him. And being in an agony, verse uh, verse 44, He prayed more earnestly. So, again, Luke testifies to more than one prayer. Only Matthew gives us the contents of the second prayer. Mark and Luke only give us contents of the first prayer. It's not important as far as how many times, but what's important is the context, the components, and the answer. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down, to the ground. Now, anybody that's been around a while, know in South Texas and other parts, we had a little problem with that verse back in the late 70s and early 80s. And men, uh, a few men took and turned that to say that that means that his actual shedding of blood for the redemption of the people of God happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, I got, I got a couple of problems with that. Problem number one, and believe me, I was not, I didn't enjoy, I probably shouldn't say this with these young folks around. Parents, forgive me. I did not enjoy English class until I was a senior in high school. How pitiful is that? I thought, what? I'm, I love math and I love science and then English? I mean, come on. I can talk. I can talk good enough. I can get my idea across. Until a senior in high school. Then I thought, oh my goodness, you know, that was really not smart, Mark. So remember that part of it, young folks. That's not smart, all right? But I found out that there's there's comparison operators in the English language, one called simile, one called metaphor. And a simile means to compare two things, and you would use the word like or as, all right? So the comparison might be, That clock looks a lot like the one I have at home on my back patio. Now, does that make that clock, the clock that I have at home on my back patio? It certainly does not, but I'm comparing it. Same thing with the word as. A metaphor is comparison without using those two words. And don't ask me to give you an example of that, remember? Senior in English, all right? An English senior, liking English as a senior doesn't really lend itself to to providing examples for metaphors. Somebody else could probably do a metaphor. These young folks probably do metaphors just like left and right. And being in an agony, his sweat was as it were. So there's the first problem I have. Sounds like Luke is comparing his sweat that's dripping off of his body because of the agony he was in in his prayer 
and comparing it to blood. And you say, why would Luke do that? Well, I'll tell you what, it, puts, it paints a picture in my mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because probably because, maybe not in that kind of agony, I've been out in the hot Texas sun working outside and everything, and it was like I was sweating blood. It was so much, so profuse, so thick as it was falling off of me. So grammatically speaking, it's refuted right out of the gate without any other evidence. His sweat were as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Number two, Paul says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. You say, all right, well, but still it could be. It could just be a bad use of grammar, and maybe he did shed blood. Have you ever looked up the word shed with regard to shedding blood? There's something really important that has to happen in order for blood to be shed. You know what it is? Death. The phrase shed blood or shedding of blood is an indicator that as the blood comes out, so does the life. And that when the shedding of blood is complete, the life is gone out of the body. So it says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So that means that this can't be redemptive blood because it wasn't shed, it dropped from him. But we already know it's not blood to begin with, right? Because of the comparison operator. But there's even more proof in that because Jesus Christ did not die in the Garden of Gethsemane. In order for blood to be shed, he would have had to die. And for sins to be remitted, blood would have to be shed, which means Jesus Christ would have had to die in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that did not happen, right? Didn't happen, all right? So I remember a time folks were like scared to read that verse and I was one of them and I preached on that and down at the Bethel Church at McMahon years ago when I was a, a young uh, minister and I thought, why am I here? And so when I got to this verse, man, I quickly put out there exactly what I thought and exactly what I felt that it meant so they'd understand. It's, it's, it's a shame that things happen and we shy away from, from Scripture because of things that happen. Or shy away from practices because of things that happen. You know, if it's true, it's true, period. And if it's true, it's good. Whatsoever things are true, Paul says in the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. Think on these things. That's what he says. This is true. His sweat were as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. All right. So there's the three prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. If Let this cup pass. If this cup pass... Uh, remove this cup from me, and if this cup not pass, except I drink it, thy will, not mine, be done. All right? John doesn't account for any of these prayers. John gives us the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. We'll, we'll not go read that. It's pretty long. Now, let's real quick go back. I've got to hasten on to the 28th, uh, I'm sorry, the 27th chapter of the book of Matthew. So we've come out of the garden, and now we're on Golgotha. And the only thing that Matthew accounts for the Lord saying is his Eli, Eli, Lama, Sebekthani, which is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then it, it says uh, that after he had cried it with a loud voice again um, in verse 50, it says he yielded up the ghost. All right? So there's the death of Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew, like I said, he accounts just for that, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He doesn't count for any other things that were said uh, at the cross. All right, real quick, let's go to Mark. Uh, <coughs> Mark chapter 14. No, Mark chapter 15. Uh, where is it? There you go. Same thing. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the only thing Mark accounts for. But he does account for, verse 37, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Now, remind you real quick, what did Jesus Christ say? No man can take my life from me. I'll lay my life down and I'll take it up again. But no man taketh my life from me. Father, let this cup pass from me. Father, if this cup should not pass from me except I drink it. Father, 
Remove this cup from me. Let it pass by. Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 23. We get three sayings from Christ in the book of Luke. Verse 34. Number one. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's the truth. If they would have known, they would not have crucified. If they would have known, he would have not been taken to the cross. If they would have known, they could not have done what they did. So the Lord on the cross prays for the ones that are crucifying him. That's, that is just outright amazing. That's the love. You see, he wasn't backing down from what he agreed to do in covenant before the world began. He wasn't backing away from that. He wasn't shying away. Isaiah says his face is set like a flint toward Jerusalem. I mean, it, it, there was no backing down. He, he went to Jerusalem at that last Passover knowing exactly what was going to transpire. He went to Jerusalem so that he might take the Passover, that he might preach one last time in Jerusalem. You go read the 23rd chapter of the book of, uh, of Matthew. It's a, how sad. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that uh, killeth the prophets, how would I have gathered thee to myself as a chicken gathereth uh, her young under her wings? But thou wouldest not. <laughs> but thou wouldest not. He, he, that's the woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites chapter that he lines them out in only a way that Jesus Christ, uh, only uh, the only way that can be done by Jesus Christ. You're outside, you're whited sepulchers, but within you're filled with dead men's bones. They really didn't like his preaching up to that. They really didn't like his preaching after that. He knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what was going to transpire. And he's saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to imbibe in the fermentation of the filth of sin for the family of God. That's what his prayer was. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then, then, then we see regeneration in action, I believe. When the thieves are railing on, both thieves are railing on him saying, you know, if you're who you say you are, then get, get yourself down and by the way, get us down with you. And then something happened to one of those thieves. Something changed one of those thieves. You, and, and it's, I believe he was born again. If you don't, that's fine. I am not going to fall out over that. But I'm telling you what, I see the beauty of the work of Christ in the midst of the work of Christ. The results of the crucifixion of Christ were manifested in that thief at that moment while the work was ongoing. That shows the covenant grace of God in heaven. And he finally said, leave him alone. We deserve to be up here. He hadn't done anything to deserve this. And then he looks at Jesus Christ. And says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. This whole time, this, you, know what, this, you know what's happening? This cup is passing by. Lord, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. And even in the, in the pain and agony and suffering of Calvary that he was undergoing, he looks this man in the eye and he says, Verily I say unto you, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. My goodness, what a Savior! That even in all of that, he takes time to assure his born-again child that before this day is done, you and me, we're going to go to glory. <laughs> and that, and I, it doesn't say anything else about that thief. You know what I think? I think that thief said, all right, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Finally, he says in verse 46, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Now, Matthew and Mark say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me at about the sixth hour? Right? Sixth hour? Then about the ninth hour, he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. 
Something happened from the time he got on the cross to this very important point. You know what happened? The cup passed by because he drank it. And as Elder Mike Montgomery likes to say, he drank the dregs of the cup of God's wrath against the sins of the elect family of God. Father, let this cup pass from me. Father, if this cup shouldn't pass from me except I drink it. Father, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, thy will, not mine, be done. The Lord says, let me say this. I don't think he's saying, I'm willing to hang on the cross for all eternity. Because if the Lord's hanging on the cross for all eternity, heaven's not our home. There had to be a completion of the work that God sent him to do. And what he's saying is, however long it takes. If it takes a day, if it takes two, however long. I don't know what was in the mind of Christ at that point. But I believe the scripture will bear that out. He says, I'm ready to drink the dregs so the cup will pass from me. And however long it takes, I'm willing to go to that end. But I don't think he was saying, even if it takes all eternity. No, I believe Jesus Christ knew that there would come a point when God would smile at the work that he did on Calvary. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. You know what happens when you're satisfied? You smile. You smile. (laughs) Unless you eat too much, then you groan, right? (laughs) Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. All right, now, John doesn't account for any of the prayers, right? But we can't skip what Christ said in the gospel of John. That would be a travesty of scriptural justice to skip what John accounts for. The first thing is very personal. And I think this is a commendation for for each and every one of us. That even on the cross, his concern was with how we treat one another. John chapter 19 Verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. Woman, behold my son. (coughs) Then he saith to the disciple, (coughs) behold thy mother. He's not saying, got some ice there, Eric. He's not saying, he's not introducing them. I mean, come on. This is Mary, the the mother of Christ, and John, the stepbrother of Christ, Mary's son, Mary and Joseph's son. And he says, woman, behold thy son, son, uh, behold thy mother. He's saying, it's time for you to take care of each other. And this wasn't just a mother-son thing, although isn't it sweet? I mean, can you imagine Mary understood, she knew. Joseph was told that he shall save his people from their sins. So she knew. But this this is her son. That she's standing at the cross. And I can't imagine what she's seeing. And he looks at her and he says, woman, behold thy son. I mean, that had to get all over Mary, right? I mean, this level of comfort. And then he looks at John and, you know, the relationship between between Jesus Christ and the apostle John was unique in and of itself. And he says, behold, thy mother. And it says, and from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. It's okay, mom. I'm going to take care of you. It's okay. You know what it is? It's Jesus saying, it's okay. In one place, he tells the women, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. This is the Lord saying, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. My goodness. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Thing number six, I thirst. I thirst. This was for the fulfillment of Scripture, right? The the vinegar and the, the gall and the vinegar. This is fulfillment of Scripture. But here it is. John gets the big one, right? John gets the, 
the the three the three word statement to end all statements that have ever been said. It is finished. You know what happened? The father did exactly what the Lord prayed for. He he told him in the garden of Gethsemane he was going to do exactly what is he praying for when he sent the angels to uh, to strengthen him. They strengthened him not for the garden of Gethsemane. They strengthened him for the cross of Calvary. And when he cried, it is finished. It's no more, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But now it is finished. He says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. God did exactly what he uh, asked him to do in the garden. He let the cup pass away from him. But he did it only after the Lord drank the dregs of the sin and the wrath of an eternal righteous judge in heaven. It is finished. It's finished. <laughs> I remember watching, there was some uh, movie, it wasn't the greatest story ever told, but it was a more uh, current movie and. That's it, Jesus of Nazareth. And, and I don't know why Dad watched these things. <laughs> so we sat and we watched it. And I mean, every every verse or everything that this actor that played Jesus Christ said, that's not what it says. Can we just watch? Can we just watch the movie? And then I thought we're going to have to buy a new TV. Because at the end, you know what it's? He says, this actor doesn't say it is finished. He says, it is accomplished. And I, dad launched out of his chair and might not started preaching. <laughs> accomplished me, could mean my part's done. Finished means it's all done. It's all done. It's all done. Now, Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews, you know what? I didn't even bring in Hebrews chapter 5, but uh, maybe Brother Ward can cover that at some point. Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 7, yet learn he obedience by the things which he suffered. That first verse prior to it is in direct correlation to the prayers. Uh, Though he were son, yet learned he obedience. No, no you know what? I'm going to go read it. Verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. That's, that's directly related to the prayers that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, let this cup pass. Remove this cup. If this cup should not pass except I drink it, thy will not mine be done. He's praying to the Father. You know why? Because the Father is the one that will save him from death. And was heard in that he feared. There's the Son of Man. Reverence to the eternal God of glory. He was heard in that he feared. Not he was scared of him. He reverenced him and all things about him. And it says he was heard. Then it says, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect. You know what that means? To be fully completed, to be replenished with everything necessary in relation to the subject at hand. What's the subject at hand? It's the salvation of the people of God. He became the author, it says, of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And I do believe that when Jesus Christ bears us from above in our new birth, he calls, we answer, that's obedience. Amen. Hebrews 9, verse 11, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Oh, my goodness. The, the beauty of the 8th and the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews with regard to the very body of Christ that was offered as a sacrifice, that he became the sin bearer for us. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sins, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
is so beautifully manifested by the eloquency of the Apostle Paul's words in this 8th and ninth chapter. It's hard not to go back and get all of that that brings us to this point, but time is up. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It is finished. You know, when he got to the holiest of holies in heaven, he didn't go there to offer anything. The offering had been made. When he entered in, he entered in by virtue of his own blood. He had already obtained eternal redemption for us. Otherwise, it is finished, couldn't have been said. That's why we can't say he'd have hung on Calvary for all eternity. He had to enter in by his own blood. It had to the very, as the psalmist David says, the portals of glory opened up and the angel says, who is this? It's the king of glory. It's the king of glory. I mean, we know things the angels desire to look into, so says the apostle Peter. And as he was received in heaven that great, uh, uh, that great day when the work was finished. And there's like, who is this? God himself saying, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. He did everything that he purposed to do in covenant with me before the world began. And he did it exactly the way it was supposed to be done. And now my people will live in heaven with, with me, world without end. That's who that is. From the opposite view, can you imagine on that uh, day, that morning to end all mornings when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout and we look up and we say, who is that? <laughs> the angels surely will declare, that's the Lord of glory who saved you on Calvary's cross and he's come back for the purchased possession. Amen. My goodness. By his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. And remember, there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Now it makes Isaiah 53 and 10 make a lot more sense, doesn't it? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So now we have it pleased the Lord. The pleasure of the Lord prospered in his hand. That's the last part of that verse 10. <laughs> because it pleased the Lord to bruise him and put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. That's the Lord. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Why? He says, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. But there's a colon at that spot, and there's one last statement that I failed to mention so many times in that 11th verse, and it's probably the most important statement of all. For he shall bear their iniquities. He was made to be sin for us. Here comes the cup. For he shall bear... It wasn't in relishing of the suffering. It was the result of the suffering. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Here comes the cup. He shall bear their iniquities. Here he goes. He doesn't just take a sip. He takes it and he turns the cup up. That's the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has for his family. I'll turn it up and I'll drink the dregs. No matter how sour, no matter how bitter, no matter how painful, I'll drink every last drop. Because when I'm done with this, the, the Lord is satisfied. The Godhead is satisfied. When the travail is over and the travail ended, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. The travail ended, and the Lord ascended back to heaven. And then his body came out of the grave three days later. Paul says he was raised again for our justification. Do you realize 
did you realize that the Lord coming out of the grave was a declaration, a global declaration of the finished work of Jesus Christ that cannot be refuted by anyone? Sometimes I wonder if Joseph of Arimathea, maybe, just maybe, he, he knew. Yeah, he can borrow my tomb. You ever thought about that? I wonder if he knew. Yeah, he can use it. He ain't going to be there long. Maybe he knew more than the disciples did. Maybe he realized, I don't know. I just like to think about things like that. That's just me. But he came out of that grave victorious. Then he ascended back to heaven 40 days later. Everything was done. The prayers had been answered. The cup had been consumed. And therefore the cup passed away from him. The will of God was done in everything that he did. And the Lord was strengthened in the garden to do what he did on Calvary. The God of all glory answered his son's prayer. And now he ascended back to heaven. And I get it. I'd have been just like those disciples looking up. I guarantee you they're thinking, where is he going now? Where? And guess what? It says men in white apparel appeared. They were angels. Maybe they were the same ones that strengthened the Lord in the garden because they strengthened the disciples. Why stand ye gazing? This same, it's done. It's all done. This same Jesus who is taken up from among you shall come again in like manner. You know how he was taken up? He was taken, he was received in a cloud. I don't believe he's talking about cumulus clouds here. I, thought he's, I think he's talking about the inhabitants of the souls of the saints of God that are resting and rejoicing in heaven. And he said, they said he was going to come again. And Paul testifies of the cloud. There's going to be a billowing cloud of the souls of all the saints of God who have passed from this veil of tears that come with him and reunite with their bodies, glorified and in his righteousness. And then, you know why? Because the work's over. The work's over. It's done. It's done. Now, we've got work to do, right? We've got work to do here in this life. We're, we're, we're about, we should be up and about our Father's business in this life. But when it comes to heaven, that's done. It's over. Hallelujah. What a Savior. May God bless you is my prayer.